For me, spirituality is the experience of oneness, the experience of connection. And how do you have that connection? It can be in many ways. It can be through meditation. It can be walking in nature. It could be consciously having a conversation. It's really, for me, it's about an awareness that we're greater than the physical body, greater than the ego mind, but there's something that has that body and has that mind. I'll call it the soul. With no limitations, what does your perfect day look like? What if it's possible to live like that every day? Would you wake up after 9am, have perfect health, maybe fire your boss, have the money and freedom to do what you love most? The world is your oyster. Where would you be? Who would you be with? The possibilities are endless. Whether you believe it's possible for you or not, you can make more, work less, and live free. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio, where entrepreneur, best-selling author, world traveler, and adventurer, Bryce Robertson and special guests crack the code on money, health, relationships, spirituality, and having fun doing what you love most. Be inspired to create your own self-designed freedom lifestyle. G'day and welcome back to another exciting episode of Freedom Hack Radio, where you learn to work less, make more, and live free. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson, and today I'm very excited to introduce our special guest, Reverend Lee Wallach. Reverend Lee Wallach is a master teacher of how to better self-love through conscious living. He is the founder of the Agape Center for Spiritual Living in Plano, Texas. Agape is an inclusive spiritual community where individuals can come to learn, practice, and share their journey of self-discovery. Reverend Lee teaches a practical spirituality that includes meditation, affirmative prayer, affirmations, forgiveness, visualization, and gratitude. Reverend Lee loves to travel and experience the many aspects of spirituality around the world. Reverend Lee has taken sacred pilgrimages to various parts of India, Nepal, Mount Kailash, and Peru. Through these travels, he sees how that in order to have a meaningful relationship, it all begins and ends with self-love. And this holds true no matter where you are in the world. Reverend Lee, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Bryce, what a joy it is to share with you this morning. I know we're going to cover some great and wonderful topics. So you take me and we're going to go on this journey together. Oh, let's do it, mate. Well, you know, I want to start off with a very important question. Um, Reverend Lee, what's got you having the most gratitude today, mate? Oh, number one, I'm with you. I get to I'm living my dream because I set a conscious intention to find how can I get this message of self-love to the world? And I've attracted you into my life, so I'm getting to meet all these wonderful people that you're talking to. I've got another gentleman next week I'm going on a podcast with. Another gentleman from in St. Louis wants me to do a podcast every week with him. Uh, my YouTube is growing faster than ever right now. We're at 4,900 subscribers, going up about 200 a week. And so this is a time right now where growth is happening and you've got to take advantage of it. But you've got to change. You can't do the old way because the old way will never come back. So I'm excited. Here I am, I'm gonna be 69 years old this June, and I have never felt younger. 
That's awesome because, you know, I mean, feeling your energy and enthusiasm, it's like, you know, I wish more 20-year-olds had that much enthusiasm, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. So, Reverend Lee, you got a super interesting background. Uh, you went from 32 years as an entrepreneur and business owner and then changed direction of path to spirituality and teaching self-love. Uh, do you want to share a little about that experience? Oh, God. Yeah, it's my joy. Um I was brought up by a, a mother who was, came from Sicily, a father whose parents came from Poland, highly ethnical, Catholic by birth, Catholic by upbringing. In the age of 15, I went to the seminary, lived away from home for a year. After a year, they said, eh, you're not going to come back. You asked too many questions. I said, great. I was 15. I didn't really care. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I started pursuing the American dream. I went to school in Dearborn, Michigan, and um, I was surrounded by people or children or kids who were uh, sons and daughters of Ford Motor Company executives, uh, General Motors executives. And so I remember I had a great friend, Greg, and Greg's father was a vice president in Ford Motor Company. He had a wife, two kids. They lived in this great house, country club. I said, that's what I want. And without a doubt, I came to a point where I was a vice president of marketing for a large insurance company. I had the exact same type of house as Greg Sloth did. I had my wife, two kids, country club membership, cars. And I said, what's missing? And so at the age of 54, I left the corporate world. And I went and got a master's degree in consciousness studies. And uh, became an assistant minister at a center here in Dallas. And about a year and a half in, I said, you know, this is playing small. And I said, let's start your own work because I wanted to talk. I didn't want to be a support person anymore. I was a support person all my life. And now what I uncovered is each one of us has a uniqueness that's desiring to be expressed. And so mine is, I'm a, I, I love to talk. I love to share my message. And I love to challenge people's opinions because I find that when I'm challenged, I grow. If I'm not challenged, I don't grow. So I am learning the, the Eastern modality of unattachment. And so with that, um, it's a, a journey that never ends. So I am a minister, a new thought minister. However, Every day I'm learning more. I'm reading. I'm watching YouTubes. I'm associating with people that challenge you. And I can't tell you enough. If you're not growing, you're dying. Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually literally had that discussion this morning, and uh, I completely, completely agree with that. Uh, I want to rewind a little bit, and I want to get inside your head, and I want to get inside your heart um, when you're experiencing this moment of something's missing, you know, I've got all of the material things that I wanted, achieve those goals, check that box. But like, what was that experience like? What did that feel like? And, and what was going through your head? It was like, it was an emptiness that for so many years, I tried to fill with external things. If I got my new car, if I got my next promotion, if I got the bonus, if I got, um, you know, a health goal that I achieved, I was always looking for the outside. Uh, did I go out socially and start drinking? Um, I realized 
in the year 2000, I had something go on and I had a, a test. I had a hearing problem. And they asked me to get a test, so I went and got an MRI, and I was told that I had an acoustic neuroma. I had a brain tumor. And um, that startled me because I never thought about mortality in any way, shape, or form. And so I went, and the doctor says, well, we're going to have to do brain surgery on you. And what's interesting, Bryce, is that my father had brain surgery five years earlier, where they literally drew four, four holes, cut open his skull, popped it open, took his brain out, and for nine hours, took a tumor about the size of a golf ball out of his head. Wow. And I had found spirituality at that time, and I said, you know, I think I can heal myself. And so I ended up getting into a meditation practice. I got into a practice of visualizing Pac-Man in my brain, eating away at the tumor. I also became a vegan because I read a book that said, if I become a vegan, my body will spend less time digesting and can spend more time healing. And so I said, if these spiritual principles work, let's test them. Mm -hmm. And so I did that for one year. One year later, I went back, had an MRI, no tumor. And wow. so all of a sudden, I got that there was a power within me. There's a power within everyone, but we're not using it. And so when we come back to your question, what was I feeling? I can describe it now better than I could then. But there's a difference between feeling and being alone than being lonely. And what I've come to understand is that when you're lonely, you're seeking external things to try to fill this God-sized hole that cannot be filled. But yet at the same time, you're born alone, you die alone, but you deceive yourself to believing that you're not living alone. When in retrospect, as I'm talking to you right now, you're a secondary character in my life. It's really me alone, Lee Wallach, this unique individualization of the infinite. I'm experiencing life. I'm creating my life, creating my, mo my movie. And I've got you in right now in this chapter as a character in it. And so when you're alone, you realize, wait a second, I'm whole and perfect as I am. There's nothing missing in me. Who am I judging myself against? And that's a big thing to understand is that most depression, most anxiety comes from the fact we're trying to live up to unrealistic expectations set either by ourselves or we've allowed others to set for us. Or subconscious programming that's yes. like happening through the media and, and whatnot, which, which some of which probably led you to think that like the material country club and, and the nice car and all that kind of stuff is going to solve all your problems, right? Yep. Not to say that those things are bad, but if you're putting the weight of those things solving your problems on, on your shoulders, it's like it's, it's not going to fulfill. Exactly. And, and it's... The more you get into it and you start studying it, you go, wow, how can I become observer? Mm -hmm. And this is something I've just been really studying, that in the West, we analyze everything. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, everyone's mind is constantly going. And what happens when you're analyzing? It's a circle. And you never come out of the circle. Where in the East, they talk about being the witness, being the observer. And the second you come out of the analyzation, 
you separate yourself from the pain of being involved in the situation. Now, that's not easy, but it's a heck of a way to get out of it. And the more I study, man, meditation's the key, my friend. That's that's awesome, and I, I want to talk about meditation in a minute and visualization as well. Uh, on that on the topic that you were just talking there about, like subtracting yourself from being a witness, uh, one of the most powerful books that I've read recently on that was uh, Michael Singer's The Untethered Soul. Yes, and, and I found that for me personally, that was something that. Uh, it really resonated with me because I was taking a lot on a lot of other people's like someone who I really care about their opinion. I was like taking all of that on. If, if I heard something, maybe it was like criticism or whatever. And I wasn't, I wasn't just witnessing it and then making a decision. I was like actually taking it on. So I found that book to be very, very helpful. Um, you said something before about visualization and the Pac-Man like uh, eating away at the tumor in your, in your brain, right? Now, um, and I want to talk about visualization in a minute, but w that whole concept that um, you could actually control something like that, or you could manifest or influence uh, better health or healing within yourself, that's something that a lot of people, I think, have a challenge with, because with that comes a lot of responsibility. Yes. Um, and, and that means that if, if, if I can do that, that means that anything that is negative or, or non-harmonious or illness in my body, then I actually can contribute to that. And, and I have the responsibility. And do you want to talk a little bit about that responsibility and how yeah, we can handle that? That scares the heck out of people. 100% personal responsibility for what you experience. So you notice I didn't say not 100% responsibility for what happens to you. Mm -hmm. Because we're in a world, seven and a half more billion people, nature, all that can happen. But how you respond to it, that's a choice. There's no question about it. I like to go with people and I ask the question, what is the source of your abundance? What is the source of your health? What is the source of your joy? And people will always go outside of themselves. And I bring it back and I say this. Here's my leap of faith as I teach. I believe in an infinite power and presence. You can call it whatever name you want. Call it God, call it Buddha, call it Jesus, call it spirit, call it infinite intelligence. It's infinite. So let's take the word infinite. It means it's everything, the seen, the unseen, the known, the unknown. There's nothing other than it. So what did it do? It created everything out of itself. Therefore, having done that, it created everything out of itself, which means you and I and everyone are creations of it. So I'm an individualization of it. You're an individualization of it. And all that we are, are it. And so if there's only one, and there's one mind, and it's its mind, God's mind, then our minds are a microcosm of that. So if it has the power to create, we have the power to create by using that mind. And, you know, the master teacher, Jesus, said this, it is done unto you as you believe. That's the greatest teaching you ever did. So then you ask the question, what do you believe? And most people's beliefs are unconscious. They bought into what their parents have said, schools, religion, society. And so they're living this belief structure they don't even know they have. And so before we go any further, let me define what I, how I define a belief. A belief are your thoughts, 
your words, your actions, and your feelings aligned toward a specific result held persistently and consistently, either consciously or unconsciously. Most people, including myself, function with our unconscious beliefs. So our job in life is to uncover, I don't like what I'm experiencing here. Let me create a new belief. That's the work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, like if someone, <clears throat> someone could wake up in the morning and they'd say, well, like I, they, they wouldn't anticipate that they're going to break their leg later on in that day. But then if they've had a negative mindset and they know it, when they do break their leg, they go, oh, I knew that was going to happen. I knew that was going to happen. And it's like, they're actually manifesting things. That's probably more of a subconscious thing than a conscious thing. Um, and I've gone through a lot of uh, work in that area myself, and I still have a lot of work to do. And I, I find it fascinating um, that we have this uh, responsibility. And I actually, in, in the beginning, I tested it because I used to get sick every year because I grew up in a household where every year we get sick, you know, it was just standard. And then my wife's, my wife, uh, she didn't. And she's like, why are you sick? And I'm like, well, because it happens every year. And she's like, you don't have to get sick every year. And then she made it like really uncomfortable for me. She made it like a bad experience. Like, Ooh, gross. You're like sneezing, get away from me. Like you don't need to be sick. And, and it became that uncomfortable that I just like, all right, I'm going to try not getting sick. And then that was like eight years ago and I haven't been sick since. So it, it actually really works and it's powerful, but you have to try it on for size. Um, and, and, give it a go because it really does work. So um, I've heard spirituality explained in a variety of ways. How would you best explain what spirituality is? First off, everything is spiritual. If, if the divine is infinite and we're expressions of it, then everything is spiritual. For me, spirituality is the experience of oneness, the experience of connection. And how do you have that connection? It can be in many ways. It can be through meditation. It can be walking in nature. It could be consciously having a conversation. It's really, for me, it's about an awareness that we're greater than the physical body, greater than the ego mind. But there's something that has that body and has that mind. I'll call it the soul. The soul, to me, is the microcosm of the macrocosm. So you have a soul. I have a soul, and that happens. And so spirituality, if it's not practical, why, why even think about it? So many times we hear about, I want to be spiritual, I want to be spiritual, I want to travel here, travel there. It doesn't matter where you go. You could be right where you are now, and if you can tap into the allness that is life and have that experience, oh my God. It's as simple as this. I studied Tantra for years. And there's a difference between a conscious physical connection with your partner and an unconscious physical connection with your partner. And the conscious connection is when you're looking into your partner's eyes as you love them and you see the soul. And your breath is aligned with their breath and their breath represents life. Because without the breath, there is no life. And if you're breathing at the same rate your partner's breathing, and you're looking into their eyes, and, you're, and they're looking to your eyes, there is a union there. And remember, the word yoga 
It's not about postures and doing things. The word yoga means union. And any path to coming together into oneness is a path of yoga. So you can say the act of, of the beautiful act of sexual intercourse with your partner, that's a, that's a spiritual act, depending on the intention you put into it. The same thing with money. People say money is evil. No, not at all. Money is simply energy. I remember this teacher. I didn't get to witness this, but I've heard the story. He, Raymond Charles Barker. He went up in front of an audience of about 3,000 people. And he was a very flamboyant, well-dressed man. And he pulled out this wad of money in front of everyone. He fanned out all these $100 bills. And he just started going, mm, I love you, I love you, I love you. And he said, how many of you out there puckered up and said, that's disgusting. That's absolutely horrific. And he says, guess what? You will never have money. Because all money is his energy. Had I had my little grandson up here, five years old, I picked him up and I kissed him and I said, I love you, I love you. You would have not had a negative reaction at all. But the fact that you had a negative reaction to money tells me you'll never have it. Because all money is, it's an energy. So if I bring greater and greater service to people in the world, guess what? Money comes back to me because it's an exchange of energy. I absolutely agree. And that, that's a great point. And you were talking about um, earlier, you, you were talking about tapping in to spirituality. How do we tap into spirituality? As I've matured and gotten older, and I've studied meditation under, I can't tell you, I've studied it under Paramahansa Pragnanananda, who's the leader of Kriya Yoga, who's a direct lineage of Paramahansa Yogananda, who was the, auto, uh, the autobiography of a yogi that was a hugely popular book. So I've done Kriya Yoga with him. I've gone to India and studied it. I've learned Vipassana. I've done seven 10-day silent meditation retreats where you can't talk, you can't read, you can't write, you're in meditation, you're by yourself for 10 days. Every time I do it, I say, why am I going to ever do it again? I'm not going to. And I keep doing it. I've learned Sri Vidya. I've learned Transcendental Meditation. Um, I've done it. And what I find is that when I understand that there's an infinite, that my connection to the infinite means I cannot describe the experience because in the infinite, there's no duality. So it's actually going, your mind becomes so blank that you don't even know when you're there. And yet, you're recharging at a level that's unbelievable. Because when you tap back into that infinite source, you become rejuvenated. And then what life does, it says after you come out of that um, that beautiful recharging, life wants you to love. And you get the opportunity. Can I witness people? Can I accept people as they are? Can I accept life as they are? And then you've got a lot to give because you're recharged. And then when you've given enough, what do you have to do? You go back in. So you become, the way I describe it is you're like a love panel, you know, like a solar panel where you've got this love panel that is you. And the way you recharge it is you meditate once you've meditated and you're charged, then you give out love. And it's a cycle that you start to build. 
So one of your core messages or is self love. Um, do you feel that you're gaining self love when you're in that deep spiritual space? Um, and first off, how would you explain self love? Self love, the simplest way to define it is self acceptance. Once I can accept myself and here's the key to be self accepting, I have to come out of judgment. If I'm in judgment about anything, love does not exist. The two words cannot coexist. So pure acceptance means no judgment. So when I look at Lee Wallach, I say, do I accept the fact that this is how Lee Wallach looks? This is his past. This is how he expresses himself. This is his purpose and mission. And I accept that. From there, I can make a discernment. Where do I want to take this person? Where do I want to take this life? And what I go to from here is you got to know who you are. So I've already talked about that I'm a microcosm of the macrocosm, that I'm unique and no two people are alike. So what makes me unique? What makes us all different? And what I've come to understand, and this is through the study of Dr. John D. Martini. Mm -hmm. Dr. John D. Martini talks about the hierarchy of your values. He defines that there are 4,628 human traits. We, each of us, have all of those traits but we get to choose and prioritize them. And what I've done is I've studied John. I'm, I'm a voracious student of John. I've done over 300 hours of classwork with John. Um, and what I've learned is that the hierarchy my, of my values are this. Number one is spiritual self-actualization. Number two is teaching and speaking about how to better self-love through conscious living. Number three is about learning about human behavior. Number four is about building intimate relationships and community. Number five is health and well-being. Number six is being financially free to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And number seven is to travel the world and experience other cultures and to continue to grow. Understanding that hierarchy, I try to delegate or not do anything that doesn't fit it, that I can't link it. So I'm living who I believe Lee Wallach is. Now my values changed. At one time, being a father was my number one value. My boys are grown. They're 36 and 34. Don't need to be a father anymore. You notice my wife, I've been married going on 48 years. My wife is not a high value, but my wife fits in building intimate relationships. So my wife fits in there. I will say this, that the only reason I'm in relationship with my wife is because she supports and grows me. I believe that's the only reason we're in relationship with anyone is to support and grow each other. And then to do that, we have to be free. And so when you understand that hierarchy of your values and you're living it, you're self-loving. For example, why am I on the podcast with you? If you go back through my values, this feeds my values. That's why I said yes, Bryce. I do not say yes to anything that doesn't serve me. I say no, because guess what? That word no is a great word to use to demonstrate how much you love yourself. Because if you don't say no to things that are not of value to you, you're not loving. And the way you know it is, are you inspired? And being inspired means, do you wake up in the morning and can you not, can you, I can't wait to do what I do. But if you've got to be motivated from an external source, that tells you it's not a value. It's not in your hierarchy. You may have to do it, 
but it's not a high value. And eventually you want to delegate that out. Yeah, and, and that was an experience that I had in the beginning. I, I just, on my path to financial freedom, I was all like opportunities, opportunities, opportunities until I understood what was really important to me. And uh, I, I became laser focused on one thing, which was mobile home park investing. And all of these other opportunities came and I had to say no. And it actually felt good to say no, but before that I didn't. I just thought, oh, an opportunity and something else, I'm going to look at it. Um, and, you know, what I was hearing as you were speaking is your hierarchy is that helps you make decisions. Everything. Like if it fits into there, it's like, you know, yeah, that one's for me. That one's not for me. I'm going to look into that one further or, or yes, straight up. And um, that gives you so much clarity. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's a it's a framework. And guess what? It's unique to you. Now, let me take it a step further. If you know your partner's values, my wife and I, I link. How do each one of my values support each one of hers and vice versa? So when I talked about earlier about that a relationship is about supporting and growing each other, well, if we know each other's values, you talk about a line of support. Someone comes in and says, Reverend Lee, I want you to be my new partner. And you go, whoa, time out. This person supports my values. I can't give that up. It's mm -hmm. not about making a, you know, a blind thing. Well, I promised that I would be faithful to you. No, you're not there because you promised you're faithful. You're promised because you've got a system in place that you don't ever want to break. When you find a partner or partners, you can be in business. You're ch I know my, children, my two sons' values. And so I link them. So I know when I'm talking to them, I have to speak to them to their values. Because if I speak from my values and it's not theirs, it's a meaning, meaningless conversation. Mm -hmm. Just meaningless. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. And so on that note, you know, especially with you and your wife, um, do you guys set goals together? Like, do you set goals and she sets goals and then you talk about it? Or do you not really have goals and you just use your hierarchy? Like, what's your perspective on, on that? I do set goals because I think goals are important. But I'll set my personal goals. Mm -hmm. She sets her personal goals. And we come together and we say this. How can we support each other getting our individual goals? The goals that we have for each other is a deeper, intimate relationship. That's the only thing. You know, you've heard of love languages before? Mm -hmm, absolutely. So my number one love language is quality time. Mm -hmm. My number two is physical touch. My third is acts of service. Hers mm -hmm. are acts of service, quality time, physical touch. Mm -hmm. So I know that if I'm want to get to her, I'm giving her quality time and acts of service. And because I know that when she feels good, it's a better support mechanism for me. It's easy for me to do that. I never feel obligated. Here's the other thing is you don't have to spend a lot of time with your partner. I don't know how your relationship works with your wife, but Jean and I, we spend, we have a half hour in the morning. We make sure we have a half hour in the evening. And then on a weekend, we may spay, we, we do things like we did go to Europe this last summer. We went to Italy. We were together 24-7, and we had a ball. We just were free. What do you want to do? Let's go, let's go look at something new. For us, it's about how can we explore life and have greater experience. So we don't come together and say, um, 
Well, I can't say that because we did agree that we would set a goal that we would go to Italy last year. <laughs> and we do have goals like finances. Mm -hmm. I believe that one of my obvious goals was to be financially free to do what I want, when I want, how I want. That's a financial goal. In the year 2000, when I had the brain tumor, I said, by 2003, I want to be debt free. I expressed to my wife that she bought into that goal. So in 2003, January of 2003, we had zero debt. Because people don't realize that debt is modern day slavery. So when my job disappeared in 2004, I had no fear about going back and getting my master's degree. Zero fear because I had no debt. And when you have no debt, you can do things. And so did we have a plan? Yes. We also have a plan on how we spend our money. We have a plan as how much we save. You see, most people don't save. Most people are spenders. Gene and I agreed that we save 30% of whatever we make. And 10% of whatever we make, we give away. And then we live on 60% of our money. And that's for our bills, for education, for our vacations, for helping support our children. You know, you can't get to the percentages that I got to right away. But I think the single best book I've ever read is The Millionaire Mind. T. Halbecker? Yep. Absolutely. I did his workshop. I fell in love with the concept. T. Harv Ecker, um, you take um, the woman that teaches about being debt-free. I forget her name right now. It's slipping me. Um, yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. Um, uh, or What's her name? Orman? Susie Orman? Yeah, Susie Orman. Yeah. I like her philosophy. I listen to Tony Robbins, too. Mm -hmm. Tony Robbins has got some brilliant, brilliant stuff out there. But mm -hmm. here's the thing. Most people don't implement it. Most people will say, I know about that. So I was in Italy, or not in Italy, in India in 2016. And I read this, met this guru, and I can't, I can't pronounce his name, so I call him the astrology guru. And my best friend, Naranjan, who I met in India as well, he's a United States citizen now and a cardiovascular surgeon, brilliant man. We're there, the two of us, with this guru. And the guru said, well, what, tell me about what you believe. And I tell him. And he go, what's your proof? And I would tell him. He go, what's your proof? This went on for two friggin' hours. Bryce. Finally, he's doing this with Naranjan. And I go, oh. And I said, here's my proof. And I, I, I gave him my experience. And what I learned from that lesson was, you don't know anything until you've personally experienced it. Absolutely. And that's actually a core message of T. Harbecker. Um, he, he teaches from experience. He's not yeah. teaching hearsay knowledge. He's done it. And uh, yeah, that's really true. Um, so let's keep going on this travel. You know, you've been to, you know, India, Nepal. Um, if, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Mount Kailash. And Mount Kailash. Mount, Mount Kailash. Um, what was the purpose of these, uh, this traveling and what were some of your experiences like? Well, when, when I went to India in 2013 to go to a Kriya Yoga 16-day silent meditation retreat, which is in upper northern India, it's on the banks of the Ganga River on the foothills of the Himalayan mountains. 
I went there, I knew nobody. And there were 40 of us that were there. And we were like two or three days into silent meditation and the rains came down. We got caught in the worst floods in the history of that area. We actually became refugees. The bridge over the river that would take us to safety washed away. We were watching houses on the other side of the river being the earth being eaten away going in. 100,000 people were left homeless. 6,000 people died. We had to literally hike across the Himalayas four hours to get to a helicopter pad, to get helicopter to safety. And um, that's where I met Naranjan. And he is my soul brother. And we started doing these journey together. In fact, right now, he is writing a book, a novel about that journey. Yesterday, he sent me the first three chapters. And I went, holy crap, this is going to be a bestseller. Mm-hmm. This is really great. And so the interesting thing that I took from that is Naranjan and I took leadership roles when we understood that if we didn't get out of there and the monsoons were going to start in a couple of days, we could die. And I remember we hiked four hours in the midst of a bloody rainstorm on the side of these hills. And we were slipping inside, didn't know where we were. We had a, we had a little guide from the neighboring village. And um, I literally came out of my body and I became the observer. And I watched myself do this and I had zero fear. And it was the most arduous physical trek I've ever done in my life. And when you were going through this experience, because you were you were at a silent retreat, right? Like when when all of this happened, was the silence still remaining? Or for the first everybody... couple of days, it remained, and then once the leader found out that we were in that, we broke silence. Yeah, for like safety and everything. We broke silence. We were packed. We were ready to go if we had to. See, the, when when we started out, the Ganga River was maybe twenty yards wide. When we left there, it was 300 yards wide, and it was this far from coming into the ashram. Wow. And so it could have come up higher, so we had to be ready to go up into the foothills above us. And um, you found out that when you get into meditation, true meditation, all fear disappears. Now, that wasn't a case for everyone there. Most people got into fear pretty darn deep. Mm Mm-hmm. Pretty darn deep. For me, it was not the case. I was blessed. So in, in experiences like that, um, if we're choosing the path to, to take a, a bunch out of it, uh, that could be an opportunity for us to grow. Did you feel like, um, did you, feel like you, you learned a lot from that experience and had a lot more gratitude for other things? Or because you were so calm, um, maybe you didn't have that effect? Oh, gratitude was prevalent. I mean, I think about where I live in the United States, what a paradise this is. That was my first trip to India. I've never seen poverty like I witnessed. I mean, I got taken into places in Delhi that blew my mind. I took a side trip. Once this was all over, I got back to Delhi and I took a trip to Agua, which is where the Taj Mahal is. I had another adventure there where I was being led around by someone I didn't know how it happened. And I was in the bowels of Agua saying, holy crap, they'll never find me here if something happens. And I just said, okay, let's trust. 
Let's ask the questions. Let's be divinely guided. Don't be in fear. I was on a motorcycle, not a big Harley, but a smaller mm-hmm. motorcycle. There were four grown men riding on that, and I was the back one. <laughs> going down the streets, I didn't know where I was. I mean, we were 30 minutes, and I'm going, where am I being taken? Okay, be calm. Be an observer. Yeah. It was. It's just fascinating, but... It's almost like, Bryce, when you become young, you have no fear. When you get older, you tend to get really cautious and fearful. But, you know, if you've meditated and you're tapped into source energy, there's no fear. So you just said when you become young. When you become young. So you And this is coming from someone who's 69 years old. I'll be 69 uh, in June, yeah. 69 in June, and you're talking about becoming young, which most people at 69 aren't talking about. Do you want to talk on that a little bit? Oh, yeah. Um, Your age and what you can do is a mental attitude. No question about that. Your body, your growth in your body will do that. So, for example, uh, 2018, I took the journey to Mount Kailash. Mount Kailash, for most people don't know, it is the most sacred place in the world for the Hindus, the Buddhist, the Tibetan Buddhist, the Jainist. Mount Kailash is this mountain, and it's considered, if you take the three-day trek around the mountain, you, you release all of this karma. And the trek that you take, you're taking it, and you're between 12,000 feet above sea level and 18,000 feet above sea level. This is not for the weak of heart. That's altitude. Yeah, that altitude is beyond anything. And so I trained. Now, we had people that were that were older. They took a horse. They got to ride a horse around. They still had to deal. I trekked it without any problem. There was one day where only five of us took the journey from the base where we were to go up from 15,000 feet to 18,000 feet to touch the glacier face. You cannot climb to the summit. It's forbidden. No one's ever climbed to the summit of Mount Kailash. It's like a pyramid. It's Mm -hmm. actually really spooky looking, Mm -hmm. really spooky looking. And um, I was one of five people that went to the summit without any fear, without any problem. And it was a seven hour or no, it was about a six hour hike up and a six hour hike back. And while we were hiking, it was sunny. It rained. It sleeted. It snowed. And you find when you're tapped in and you keep yourself young, see, people don't realize this body temple, it's it's your vehicle to experience life. you got to treat it good. So I eat good. I drink healthy water. I exercise. Um, And I was about to do a trek May 15th where we were doing an eight-day trek into the Himalayas, and they wouldn't let anyone in that was older than 55. I had to go talk to the owner of the trekking company. I had to get a doctor's certificate, provide them all these other proofs, and they were making an exception for me. I don't buy the fact that my age represents what I can or cannot do. People can buy into that, though. You know, yeah. I mean, I just turned 40 the other day, and I feel like really young and fit, and yeah. I'm, I'm on top of my game. Um, and I remember, like, I don't know, it would have been 10 years ago or 12 years ago, I met this guy who was uh, – 
he looked really, really healthy, but he also looked like he was a little bit older. Um, and he was like 83 and yeah. he was still running uh, 100 mile marathons. Oh, and I'm like, well, like, why, why do you look the way you do? And why? And he's like, well, because I run and I've always run and I've always been healthy. It's like for him, there was like no other option. It was just yeah. like the only, the only possibility. Um, moving moving forward i actually you know every morning i've got a morning ritual i i do breathing exercises uh, i do visualization I, I have gratitude and a little bit of meditation um first off do you have some daily rituals that Most you definitely. do yeah do you want to talk about those i've been meditating twice a day for since 1998 uh, right now, through this pandemic that we're going through, I'm actually meditating three or four times a day. But one of the things I found is that my wife um, developed a physical challenge. And so I decided to invite her last August 1st that we would meditate together every morning. So at 5.30 in the morning, she and I meet in my room downstairs here where I'm at, we sit and we do a guided meditation, a Joe Dispenza meditation about opening up the energy centers, the chakras. We've done that every day since August 1 together. Mm -hmm. um, if we're not together, if I'm traveling or she's traveling, at that time, both of us will be meditating because we have made that commitment. <clears throat> so yeah. I meditate with, with myself at that time with her. Then at seven o'clock, once the pandemic started, I lead a guided meditation for people all over the world that they can join me. Once I do meditation, I do my visualization. I create my day in my world. And then what I do is I then do some reading. Right now I'm reading Osho. I'm really enjoying Osho right now. Um, he's an Eastern guru. And I'm reading his book. The word one I'm reading now is on awareness. And I'm really getting a deeper and deeper clarity of what, is, what does awareness mean and the levels of awareness. Once I do that, then what I'm doing is I'm making myself a really healthy breakfast. After breakfast, I'm going on a walk, taking a three-mile walk with my dog, my yellow lab that's blind. And my son joins me, so I'm having time to connect with my son, take my dog for a walk. After that, I do weightlifting because I believe you've got to take care of the body. And if you're not using your muscles, you're losing your muscles. After I do all that, now we start our day. And like all of the most critical and important things have already happened in your exactly. day. And like, how long does it take? It was 5.30 in the morning till around about what are you spending? On Nine. That? Nine. You're spending like, you know, three and a half hours. Yep. On, on getting everything, setting the foundation. Now, have you experienced a day when you haven't done that? Yep. And what, what is that day like? Chaos. Yeah. Especially uh, if you don't meditate. That is the single most important thing. I've taught meditation to people, and people will come up and they'll tell me, Lee, I got my meditation habit. I've done it for two months. I stopped for three days. My whole world went crazy. Well, your world didn't go crazy. You just lost the calm perspective of the world. You see, meditation releases this crazy fear and this crazy attachment to we have what's happening around us. You know, you've read The Untethered Soul. Mm -hmm. um, if you read his next book, The um, Surrender Experiment, 
Um, that's an incredible book. And because he actually takes his life as the CEO and founder of this computer software company and how all of a sudden one of his people did some things and now he's under a full-fledged investigation by the IRS, the SEC, and he describes how he dealt with it from the observer that came because of his meditation practice. Oh my God, it's one of the best stories. And he has, and if you're really interested in Michael, he has a class that he's offering online. I think it's like $300, 10 week class. Take the class. Really? Okay. This man is a teacher. Now he's gonna be very repetitive, but that's okay. The repetition helps it sink deeper and deeper into your mind. It's programming. Yep. Selected programming. Yep. <laughs> so meditation and visualization. Um, do, do you implement visualization a lot in your life? I, I know you said that you, you anticipate your day. I do the same thing. I, I anticipate my day. Sometimes I anticipate how my workouts are going to work. Some maybe big business meetings or, uh, something to do with improving a relationship. Uh, and I also have long-term visualizations as well. Um, <clears throat> what, what's your take on visualizations? Do you do one once and then put it to bed and then have faith knowing that it's going to come together? Or do you sort of stack on top of the same visualization in the future? Like maybe something for, um, like one of your, your bigger core, uh, values of getting the the word of self-love out there. Are you visualizing that like yeah. all of the time? I have a great vision that I will touch millions of lives, but I'm only touching thousands right now. And so I can't make that quantum leap. I hold the vision of the millions, but every day I, I visualize what's my next step. What's that next step? What does it feel like? What does it look like and I'll spend two three minutes visualizing that and then I see that and I literally step into that picture I think what's really people forget is that create that image of life and then you step into that image and then you embody that um, I had a teacher when I was getting my master's degree a gentleman by the name of dr. David Bressler and he is a visualization expert out of the out of UCLA Medical Center. And David talked about this one case where he was referred a gentleman to him for pain management. This gentleman had stage four cancer, had tumors all over his body, was carrying around an IV drip with chemotherapy. There was no hope for this dude. He was dead. So David got him and asked him to sit down and said, he said, just do as I say. And he asked him to sit down and he said, close your eyes. And he got him into a quiet place. And he says, I want you to look around and figure out what is your inner advisor? Is it a person, an image, an animal? Turned out this guy was a pretty big guy, six foot three, pretty good sized man. Turned out his inner advisor was a chipmunk. And David asked him and said, what's your chipmunk's name? And he says, it's Chip. And he said, so ask Chip if Chip can help you get rid of this pain and stuff. And, and he asked and Chip said, yes, I can. But Chip said, I have a condition. And so David said, well, ask Chip. So he asked Chip the condition. He says, for the next three days, I want you to take Cheerios and put a raisin in the hole and eat them for breakfast. 
So anyway, they came out of this and this guy did that. Three days later, he comes back in, David guides him into the, to the, the hypnotic state again. And there's Chip and Chip asked him, did you do what I said? He said, yes. And he says, well, you'll help me. And he said, Chip says, I'll help you, but I'm gonna have to bring in some friends. He says, okay, who are they? It was Wally the bear, Heckle and Jekyll the magpie and Bambi the deer. And he says, will they help? And he says, yes. And so, so they began and what he saw was Wally the bear clawing at the tumor. The two magpies, Heckle and Jekyll, picking up the pieces he clawed and carrying them, flying them out of the body. And then he pictured the deer, Bambi, licking the wound and stopping the bleeding. This went on for two months. Six months later, he went back to the doctor. There was not a tumor in his body. Cancer was gone. Five years later, there was no cancer. That's the power of visualization. Why wouldn't you use that to create your life? Absolutely. And, and for our listeners, what would be, where can we start? If for someone oh. who hasn't started with visualization, like what does it look like for a beginner? I would say, let's take the, the idea of a relationship because we've all been brought up with the idea that relationships are difficult, that they're hard. What would it look like? What would it feel like for you if a relationship was easy? What would it feel like for you if you could have pleasant conversations with people and understand and not argue? What would it feel like for you if your partner gave you the freedom to be yourself? What would it look like for you if you were not jealous, that you were not possessive? What would it look like for you if you could give love unconditionally? That's all you have to do that short a period of time and let that feeling come into you and anchor it in your heart. It's as simple as that. It doesn't have to be a complex thing. So you're basically sitting there and you're, and you're resonating on the things that you want, not the things that you don't want, yep. uh, the things that you want, and then you're mixing you know, your heart and emotion with that to amplify it as well. And uh, if you were a visualization doctor, the prescription would be to sort of do it consistently, right? Just Persistently and consistently, yes. But here's the key. You've got to keep this in mind. It's just not seeing it. It's not speaking it but you have to feel it. The feeling gives it the power. That's what most people, they intellectualize it and they forget it's the joint of the heart and the mind. And you bring them together and they work together. They're, they're the best companions. One without the other, there's nothing. And how much time are you putting this into this each day? Five minutes, that's it. And how much of an impact has it had on your life? I'm living my dream life. Every day it gets better and better and better. And here's the thing that people don't understand is that you don't make a quantum leap. We've been, we've been given this bogus thing that quantum leap happens. It's a progression of awareness. The more aware you become, the more you develop your beliefs, you attract the experiences based on the level of your belief. And so it's a progression up. There's all, always a natural evolution in the demonstration of a prayer, of a visualization, of a desire. 
because we're human. So it's naturally going to evolve. So you're more saying that the quantum leap more than likely happens. Say, for example, if you haven't seen somebody for like five or 10 years and then you meet back up with them and you're like, hey, how you doing? Like, what you been up to? And they're like, oh, nothing much. And then they ask you the same question and then you realize, oh my God, I've had a quantum leap. But, it, but every day it was like step by step. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Time. If there's a lot of time in between, it looks like a quantum leap. But day to day, it's just a progression, a step up, a step up. Mm -hmm. And so on meditation, uh, are you, what, what's a basic meditation practice that you use? I know that there's a lot of different types of meditation out there. Um, what, where would you say people would start or a good starting point for people who want to meditate? I'm going to make it so easy or no, I'm going to make it simple. It's not easy, but I'm going to simply say, sit in your chair with your feet touching the ground. Most important thing is your back is straight. Rest your hands either like this on your lap, like this, anything that's comfortable. Close your eyes. Bring your attention to your breath. And the idea is to become one focused. So I'm going to actually give your audience a mantra right now. It doesn't mean anything. It's a Sanskrit word. And the word I'm going to give you is Shreem. S-C-H-R-E-E-M. And you sit there and you, within your mind, you keep your attention focused on the word Shreem. Shreem over and over and you'll take a timer and you set a timer for five minutes let's say to start and you you can go there's a great timer you can put on your phone it's called insight timer it's a free app and that timer it's got guided meditations but i really want people to go away from guided i want them to go into silence i think that's where it really is and if they can set the timer for our five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, they can actually set an interim bell. Let's say you're just starting and you're going five minutes, set a bell at two and a half minutes. So your mind knows that when that bell goes off, okay, I'm halfway done. And you keep bringing your attention back to the mantra, back to the mantra, back to the mantra, and you do it every day. Ideally, you'll wanna meditate twice a day. And I would say to you, you build up to 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the late afternoon, early evening. That would be an ideal meditation practice. Okay. And uh, why, why are we uh, speaking this mantra? Is it to get ourselves out of our head? Yeah. yeah. You're trying to bring focus to one thing. When you've got your focus on one thing, you're not in the past, you're not in the future, you're in the now, in the mantra. And because the mantra has no meaning, you can't analyze it. It's, and it's also in Sanskrit. And what I've been told is in Sanskrit, the sound of the mantra, Shreem, is like a divine sound. It, it's a vibration that when you're saying that to yourself without verbally speaking it, it's to yourself, that tone causes, well, your body's energy and your energy is a frequency. Well, the mantra is an energy and it is a frequency. And you're tuning into the mantra frequency, which is a higher level frequency, if that makes sense. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So you're coming out of these, this deep meditative state with a higher frequency. Exactly. And then you're going and getting the day. And yep. then again, at the end of the day, when you're doing your 20 minutes, uh, are you doing that like just before you go to sleep? Or Oh, no, I do it about 4.30 in the afternoon. Okay. okay. I'm doing it before my wife comes home. Uh, I eat my dinner. And normally I'm teaching at night. So I want to make sure that my state of mind is good. Before I go to bed, though, I do gratitude. I always, when I'm lying in bed at night, I'm going to say, what happened today that was unique that I'm grateful for? Here's the key thing. It's not just the good things. It's what we perceive as bad too, because there's never anything that happens that there's not good that comes out of it. Mm -hmm. And that's the ability to see that life is always in balance. Because if you don't see life in balance, you're going to be... You're going to be living to the opioid of the masses. And that opioid is this. I can be happy all the time. And the fact of the matter is you cannot. It's not possible. Impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. It's, happiness is an emotion, whereas fulfillment is more, you know, something that we're, we're striving for. And uh, yeah, so that, well, that's fantastic. A um, <clears throat> couple more things. What does a freedom lifestyle look like for you? that I'm able to every day live my values to the highest level the way I want to live them and respecting the people that I've chosen to be in my life. That you've chosen to be in your life because it's a choice, right? We don't get to, we only have, we have a finite amount of time and in yeah. all reality, as much as you're out there positively influencing people, the deep connections that you're going to have, there's only going to be like a handful of people. Yes. And you have to, under, because if you're a leader and a teacher, everybody wants your time. And you've got to, you've got to say, okay, where is it going to be most effective with my values? And that includes family. I have a brother who's now deceased. He was probably the most negative human being on the planet. And I would talk to my brother once a year mm -hmm. because I didn't need to bring that anger and that hatred into my life. You know, and that's how it is. I was very close to my mother. My mother has passed. I talked to her every day. She lived in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. I would call my mom every day. My father, I was not as close to. He was very unconscious. I talked to him very little until my mother died. Then I became the caretaker, but I limited when I would talk to my dad because he was a negative, negative person. We have that choice. My wife will come home from work. She works in a hospital. And she'll come home and she may have had a stressful day and her energy's off. I'll look at her and say, go meditate before we talk. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to spend time. And she does the same thing to me. Lee, you're into judgment here. You go off in the corner and meditate again, bud. You know, I'm not perfect. I want you to know that. Mm -hmm. No one's ever perfect. If you think there's a guru out there that's reached enlightenment and it's there 100% of the time, you're fooling yourself. Everybody has balance in their life. Everybody. Well, I think at that time we'd have to, uh, we'd be at our end of our cycle if we had ever reached that point. Yeah. Um, so here at, here at Freedom Hack Radio, our listeners are on their path to attaining freedom in the, you know, the five core areas of our life, you know, generating financial wealth, health, relationships, spirituality, and having fun. If there was one main message or one final message that you could give to us that would be most beneficial to listeners, what would it be? Number one, 
accept yourself as you are. Number two, sit back and enjoy the ride because it is the greatest ride. No matter what's happening, you came to this planet to experience it. And people think there's a greater purpose in life. Your purpose is to be fully aware and experience everything, everything. When I'm with my granddaughter, who's two years old, she commands that I'm fully present. She says, Baba, sing. And there I go, the wheels and the bus go round and round a hundred times. Why? Because we're connecting. And that joy, when she picks up that FaceTime live and she sees my face and says, goes, Baba Lee. And I go, that's a moment that you cannot get back. Be present. And you said this earlier, Bryce, have fun. People were way too serious out there. <laughs> Do what you love. Find out what you love to do and find ways to do it and serve greater numbers of people and know that abundance comes back to you in love, in money, in spirit, in connection, in everything. That's my best. Awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, how can Freedom Hackers keep the conversation going with you? You can find me on Facebook at Rev Lee Wallach. You can go to my YouTube channel, um, Lee Wallach, W-O-L-A-K. On my YouTube channel, I've got like 500 videos, all free. You can watch them on any topic you want. Um, you can go to my website, agape, A-G-A-P-E, C-S-L.com, and you can learn more about the community. I'm actually next week starting Agape Europe. Through the pandemic, I've got six people that have been meditating with me every day from parts of Europe. Well, they want to form a community, so we're going to form a virtual community. Or just email me, email me at rev.leewallach at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to talk to you. Beautiful. And for everybody listening and watching right now, those links are going to be provided in the show notes. And uh, you actually are living your own uh, principles because, you know, you, you, you're in, in all of this chaos and, and everything that's going on in the world right now. You're seeing opportunity. And yes. it's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to help people. It's an opportunity to provide value to people. And that's something that we really, really drive home here at Freedom Hack yeah. Radio. That there's, there's always the, probably the heightened uh, chaos equals heightened opportunity. Without a doubt, and, uh, yes. Much more value to be able to provide. Um, I can't thank you enough, Lee. It's been an amazing conversation with you today. Um, thank you very much for providing abundant, abundant value. Um, for all of our listeners, um, if you're watching on YouTube, YouTube, make sure that you subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, give us a thumbs up and then leave comments. Let us know, uh, keep the conversation going. Let us know if there's things that you want to uh, more information on or anything you want to dig deeper in. Um, your feedback really, really matters. Uh, the more you guys uh, participate in the feedback, the more that we know how to shape it to exactly what you guys want. Um, and at the same time, the more that you're out there letting people know about this, the more lives we can change in the more people that can end up living a freedom lifestyle and that is so so important to me so thank you all for listening today and i look forward to seeing and speaking with you all next week